the leopard just sat there and suddenly it dropped down on all fours and it crept along the ditch and out of sight and everyone just looked at each other in disbelief. You say, well, I've seen this big cat. Some people just flatly refuse. They think that Britain's such a sweet little island, we shouldn't have predators that size. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of Big Cat Conversations. This edition features much about big cats and horses, because we're speaking with a horse trainer, and then we hear from a lady who had her horse attacked and badly scratched from a big cat, it seems, back in 2010. So she's our second guest coming up later, and there are photos of the scratches on her horse from that time on our website. Our guest is Richard, and Richard is a horse trainer, and Richard has seen a big cat in Warwickshire, and he's now our third guest who has seen a puma in North America, so we'll hear about that one as well. Richard, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. And here we are in lockdown, and hope you're doing okay in lockdown, Richard. I hope the rest of our listeners are doing okay. I gather you're doing a book during the time that you've won from other activities. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've procrastinated over it for several years and now I've got the time I'm actually focusing and getting some writing done so it's good in a way. Great okay we'll hear a bit about that side of things later on in the episode but first of all we better hear about your main event your sighting in Warwickshire can you tell us all about it please? It was the late 90s I think it was 98 or 99 and I was at the time working in the New Forest. I drove late back from Lymington one night and traffic was a nightmare. So I, I drove the back way home from the New Forest to Birmingham, coming out of Stratford-upon-Avon, and it was about 10.30 at night, and a couple of cars ahead of me, this animal crossed the road, and I was speechless. I just couldn't believe my eyes. There was just no doubt in my mind that it was a big cat. It crossed the road in about three strides very efficiently, and uh, it was black, and that was it. So I was gobsmacked. Did you see that the drivers in front of you saw it as well? Did they react in any way? It crossed the road so quickly that it's not like anybody could have braked or it was going at quite a speed and it, it bounded across the road. Yeah, quite remarkable. What about sort of scale and tail length and any features that you could ascertain in that glimpse? It was big. It was a big cat. I know it must have been of quite a size because it was quite a way in, in front of me. You imagine if we were travelling... 40 or 50 miles an hour and there were a couple of cars in front of me there was a bit of distance in between us but it was so distinctive there was still a little bit of light around as well it was kind of late summer I would say so difficult to judge an exact size from that distance but I, I just got the impression that it was big and the way it moved across the road in just three strides it was over quite a wide road for such a distance I saw it quite well you know it was strange to describe but definitely a long tail yeah. Interestingly, a guy in Gloucestershire had a similar event. He was going up one of the Cotswold Edge hills and the car in front of him slowed down a bit because the cat came across the road. And at the next set of lights, when this guy stopped, he was with him. And so he sort of nipped out of the car while the lights were on red. 
and the guy round his window down and they they had a quick chat about what they'd seen together so that was useful that they could get to corroboration between the two drivers who'd had the cat run out in front of them but you didn't have the same no i i would have loved to have talked to the guy in front he couldn't have been too far away from his bonnet you know gosh so that i gather richard that triggered your whole interest in the subject yeah before that, as I was growing up, I, you kind of hear the odd story, the odd tale of big cats been around in Warwickshire, and, and I kind of had a little bit of an interest. But really, that sighting was it. That was me hooked, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, really, it fell by the wayside, and I, I didn't have any more thoughts on it for years after that. I don't, don't really recall telling anyone about it. But through the grapevine, you do hear of sightings, especially in the horse world, because we're always talking to someone. What would you guess that cat was? It would, in my opinion, be a a leopard, leopard or mountain lion. So it was black. So I'm not sure. Do you get melanistic mountain lion? If it was a puma, it could have been in the dark, you know, in the gloom, and it looked darker than it was, maybe. Unless we have got black pumas here, which is an open question. I just always put it down as a black leopard. Yeah, sure. Well, they, of course, they're very, very similar in scale and profile and um, in characteristics. I always say they're sort of counterfeits, the leopard and the puma. If, if you sprayed a puma black, I think it would do for a black leopard. Yeah, quite. Maybe, Richard, we come on now to your encounter in America, because you're lucky enough to have seen a mountain lion, also called cougar and puma, in America. Can you tell us all about that one? Yeah, sure. Some years later, I think it was in 07, I was on the west coast of the states uh, in uh, middle california in an area called big sur and i was staying with a friend of mine who has a shack up in the mountains i was driving early in the morning down from about three thousand feet it's a dirt road basically for six miles more of a four by four track it's right on the coast so from three thousand feet up we look out over the ocean so it's a beautiful spot i was driving down from the shack about seven thirty in the morning and blow me but this cat just jumped down from an embankment on the left hand side and I, I guess it was maybe 40 yards in front of me mm-hmm. and it trotted away from me down the track i was driving after it very slowly uh, over at the same pace so i didn't encroach on it so I, I didn't want to to scare it off i didn't want to you know i wanted to prolong the viewing as long as possible i followed it for maybe 80 yards just ticking over on the car and it was trotting away from me and then it stopped and it it turned its head and stared straight at me just for a second and then it disappeared it jumped up off the track up at another embankment that was it i'm quite a photographer and i always thought now i know why people don't get photographs of these creatures because your heart's in your mouth you know Mm -hmm. It's, it's such a special sighting my camera was in the boot anyway so that that wasn't an option but still, if it had been by my side, to actually pick it up, set the camera up and shoot and actually waste that 10 or 15 seconds that you have with the animal, I can totally get why people don't photograph them. Yes. But if you'd have had a dash cam, of course. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I would have caught it perfectly, presumably. Yeah, absolutely. This was 13 years ago, so not really something that was very popular at the time. How would you describe it, Richard? Because obviously you had a very good view, very close to it. Yeah, it was brown, dark, sandy colour. It just trotted away from me. It was probably came up to the height of the bonnet on the car. Um, so it, I don't think it was a particularly big male. It was probably a medium-sized cat. Mm-hmm. 
female or a young male. Mm. That, that's just the impression I got. And it, when it turned towards me, for just that second, it stared straight at me. Its eyes struck me, you know, just got big eyes. I guess what else struck me was it just wasn't overly concerned about me, you know. It was going about its business and I wasn't anything to worry about. It wasn't hurrying because the car was behind it. No, it was quite a, a leisurely trot. Confident. Very confident. And given that the, the night before I'd heard gunshots, talking to my friend Geary, he was like, yeah, it's probably he, one of his friends trying to take a pot shot at a mountain lion, you know. Ah. And uh, yeah, so given that people are armed up there and, and quite happily take a pot shot at them, mm. yeah, he was quite nonchalant. Yes. Even this was California, was it? Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's middle California, between Los Angeles and San Francisco. There's no quota system for California. It's the only state on the West without quotas, without a ticketing system for shooting um, a quota of mountain lions. So technically illegal to shoot a mountain lion, and, and, unless you've got special permission because one is becoming a pest on your property or whatever. Yeah, and especially this being in a basically in Big Sur National Park as well. Yeah, maybe they were shooting other things. Yeah. Your friend you were staying with... I imagine he was, uh, or they were not used to seeing mountain lions themselves. No, I don't, in fact, I don't think he'd ever seen one. There we are. Well, his family had owned the mountain hut for generations. So, yeah, I counted myself as incredibly privileged. Yeah, very good. The locomotion, how would you describe it? It was very fluid and easy. He was not using much power. You know, he was just loping along, trotting along, very easy, minding his own business. When he turned and he jumped up quite a high embankment on the side of the road and it was just effortless. Did you see the way the tail gets used as a rudder? Yeah, the whole body swung, you know, uh, very, very loose. And they're very much higher at the back end, at the, at the hind quarters with their long legs. I don't know whether that came across. Yeah, it was actually, because he was going directly away from me, you, you're pretty much just watching his bum <laughs> move away from you, you know. So. Yeah. I mean, that's something which I think adds to the credibility of witness reports here, particularly of pumas and lynx. People, good proportion of the witnesses, notice that they're higher at the back end, as they tend to say, or words to that effect. Yeah. If I was talking about a horse, it'd be running, runs downhill into the shoulder. Okay, <laughs> great. So, Richard, uh, you were up a mountain in California, and our word of the week is going to be catamount. And thank you for that suggestion. And catamount is yet another word or term for a puma, mountain lion, cougar in North America. You suggested it. And as far as I know, it's a shortened version of cat up a mountain. Is that what you've heard as well? Yeah, it sounds about right. I think it's a very loose term applied to not just one species. You know, it's a, a loose term. I don't know whether it's used for bobcat as well or... Oh, yeah, it might be, actually. That's a point, because it just was parlance for somebody seeing a cat up a mountain, so it got shortened to catamount. I think it's used more in the eastern states, but, of course, they use panther in the eastern states as well. And I think it's just that the variety of names for pumas, mountain lions, cougars, throughout North and South America and Canada just shows the different sort of cultures through which that cat exists, through its huge north-south axis of territories. Yeah, catamount. Nice to mention that term here. So catamount, our word of the week. Now, you've had one other run-in or sort of encounter, big cat 
related really because we're now going to talk about a deer carcass which arrived on your land in Warwickshire a few years ago and I was indirectly involved in that because I was contacted by you and sent a photograph and thought wow that looks potentially big cat related to me. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah this is going back to 2015 and I have a or used to at the time have a paddock in a village called Hockley Heath. We turned up in the morning and from the, the yard I spotted something in the field, walked over to investigate and discovered this carcass. It really was a carcass, there was very little left of it. I quickly figured out it was a, a deer, probably roe deer, then sat there marvelling at it and wondering what the heck has happened overnight. It looked like it had fallen from the sky, didn't it? Absolutely, it was in the middle of the field, there was so little left of it, no organs, no meat. Half the ribs had been eaten, rest of the rib cage totally hollowed out. It was just splayed out. There was lots of skin left. Some of the spinal column was missing. You know, legs were scattered. Very little left on it. We started looking closely and, well, we really just couldn't believe our eyes. And that had definitely happened overnight. You knew that, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We went through every scenario, you know, trying to convince ourselves one way or another what it was. I knew there were roe deer in the area. So we were very close to a, an old airfield and they like to sit on the airfield. But we also have a lot of mum jack. And there's a, a canal which runs right alongside the field. It's the Stratford-on-Avon Canal. So it's not like it was a, a roadkill that had been dragged into the field by foxes or, or anything like that. Directly alongside the field is the canal, and then on the other side is the road. It was just remarkable. Quite a large roe deer. Yeah. At the time, I think you sent me the photographs and said, Rick, what do you reckon, and do you want to do anything about it? And I think had we been involved in tooth pit analysis, looking at the, the pits on the bones of suspected prey from big cats, we would have looked at the bones at the time. So we, we missed that opportunity. But we did, through a friend of mine, Dave, who I'm sure we'll hear about in a future episode, we got it swabbed for DNA testing. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's right. We gave you a call and you said, it's not my area. You asked Dave to come up and see us. And yeah. uh, we set uh, some cameras up. Or Dave set some cameras up just in case it came back for the rest of the carcass. But not surprisingly, given how little was left, there, there was nothing. Nothing came back for it. And you took some samples for DNA, but no, we, we never heard anything back on those. It's interesting. I think we were all very sure that it was cat-related and it didn't really need a DNA test to yeah. prove it. But of course, that would have given the species because the, the tooth pit analysis work, if it gets the carnassial patterns of the tooth, of carnassial tooth that relates to puma or a leopard-sized cat, that's called phenotypic evidence. It can only give you the sort of general scale of the cat rather than the species of the predator. Mm. So DNA is very valuable. Did that undermine your faith in DNA testing? Did you have any views on the DNA process as a result of that? I'm not overly scientifically minded. And if we're entrusting these things to anything that the government has a say in, then I'm not sure we're going to get the truth back. That's just my general scepticism, I guess, of authority. Yeah. But we weren't going through a government testing process, though. Right. Yeah. It is interesting that in most cases when I've, I've been involved in DNA testing, the informant whose land is involved is not really too bothered about the confirmation of the DNA. 
they pretty much you know feel from their own perspective this is cat related and yes it would be nice if it was a species result came back from the process but uh, it's interesting that people are not too despondent when we don't get a dna result but there we are yeah i mean species would be interesting especially when i'd never really considered that we might have jaguar in the country and until i've i've heard you mention them on the show really Although I, I think we don't, to be honest. I think we, we mention them as a candidate. But I think when we come on to your Nicaragua point in a minute, we, I'll sort of then say I think that that reflects on the fact that we probably don't have Jaguars. I think we'd yeah. know if we did, we, we would be getting horse mm. impacts. But we can come on to that in a minute. That's exactly what I was thinking. At that time, you were getting gossip locally about other cat reports, weren't you, in that area? Yeah, I mean, it was quite remarkable because, uh, and, and more than gossip, it was a dear friend of ours we went to the pub with very soon after this. We were describing it to her. She went a bit grey because she started telling us a story and she'd been out jogging maybe two or three miles from where this instance was and she'd seen a deer carcass up a tree. Gosh. I mean, that's incredible on its, on its own, but, but being so close to this kill... And she's not somebody to exaggerate or tell tales. A very dear friend and quite straight life. Yeah, what a shame she didn't take a picture of the one up a tree. That would have been so good. It was only in hindsight, you know, she suddenly realised when we were talking that that's what she'd seen. At the time, she didn't, she just thought, oh, that's a bit odd. Oh, I see. Yeah, she didn't put it all together until you brought it up. Okay. After that, you didn't have any further events. It was just that one-off, remarkably yeah. fully eaten out, large rodeo just turned up overnight. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just, I marvel at what size cat would have been able to eat, what, 30 kilos of meat? If it was one, it might have been more than one. Ah, possible, yeah. That's occurred to me sometimes when I've seen, and the landowner or the informant, when a deer carcass or a sheep carcass has been so fully eaten out. And as you say, you think um, putting up cameras, watching it overnight is probably a waste of time because there's really very little to come back to, to bother coming back to for a second sitting anyway. Let's just say that turned up on your land and you'd had no experience of seeing big cats or thinking about big cats in the wild in Britain. Would you have sort of guess that that was a predation and consumption of a large predator bigger than anything we've got in this country naturally would would that have occurred to you do you think anyway i think so even in this instance i went through all the possibilities you know you're thinking well if i had poachers on my land if they dispatched an animal in it and taken it apart butchered it on site and you look at it and you're like no it just doesn't fit you know when you you start looking at the way the rib cage was broken open and just I mean, it's so efficiently taken apart. You just have to come to the conclusion that it was a big cat. I don't think there's any other reason. Several foxes maybe could have done that, but not so clinically and tidily. Yeah. It takes quite a lot to bring down a roe deer. Yeah, yeah. Something would have had to predate it in the first, or it would have died a natural death. But then it's a shame we don't put carcass photos on the website because that is a... A good one, a good reference one that, um, in fact, you texted at me just before we started to remind me. And I thought, wow, I'd forgotten it was that good. Yeah, I hadn't looked at it for quite a few years and it's quite impressive, isn't it? Okay, can we move on to horse behaviour? And maybe we start with uh, your experience in Nicaragua with this. um, You were given a, a horse skull, I gather. Yeah, quite a few years ago, I was spending some time in the jungles of southern Nicaragua. And I came across a guy who showed me the skull of a mule. It had been predated by a jaguar. 
you could clearly see the the puncture marks straight through the skull which just took me aback because the the power that an animal must have to bite straight through a, a horse's skull a mule skull is just incredible i was looking for photographs of it earlier but I, i'm not sure i photographed it i think it was a historical skull probably from the spanish invasion oh okay it wasn't a recent one but he knew about its history it wasn't a recent one no something they'd come across and kept you know but it has to be a big bold cat doesn't it to take down a, a horse yes i mean in america in north america for the pumas occasionally you get a big tom puma who has learnt the knack of predating the wild horses there they call them mustangs and burrows yeah and what they do apparently is they get one in a natural corral situation on rubbly ground and the horses then can't get the traction to move away so they're an easier slower target for the cat to jump on and then maneuver to get the crushing bite to the windpipe or muzzle hole or whatever so and of course they're going to go for the weaker or older animals aren't they because it's quite dangerous to take down a horse they're very well designed to fight off a mountain lion Somebody who's into horses, Richard, does that make you feel a bit less positive about big cats like pumas and leopards, or do you just think it's part of nature and, you know, you have to just take it? In this country, I don't think there's anything to be concerned about. Nature's nature, and a big cat taken down, whatever its prey might be, is perfectly natural. If I had a big stud, I had a lot of vulnerable horses, if I had mares falling, and I would take precautions then, you know, I think if I, I wouldn't like to see horses in this country getting attacked so i guess that's a little different you know yeah which does happen a bit you know i do occasionally and i know other people get called upon by horse owners and stables for advice and they feel that they know when horses are, are being freaked out by big cats because occasionally they've seen one and the horse was with them they've seen the horse's reaction and then months or years later they've seen the same horse reaction very unusual nervous type of nervousness and thought ah oh, that's just what it did last time the big cat was here i reckon the big cat's around only i'm not able to see it but maybe the horse is sensing yeah it. absolutely sometimes in the middle of the night i've heard my horse is galloping and uh, you just wonder what's out there and often i've been out in the middle of the night uh, with a torch and had a look around just to check the horses are okay because i've heard them being upset and no i've never seen anything yeah and of course you've got a big torch you would see eye shine perhaps if you did have a big cat around but then if a group of horses is in a 20 acre field and they've they've galloped up to your end you're not going to see anything yeah that's true of course yeah yeah you just wonder what's out there and, and a shiver goes up your spine you know well, I remember uh, Gordon in episode five talking about when the big cat was on his land. He had a couple of horses who were normally very well behaved, but he said they would get very nervous and very flighty when he thought the cat was around. In fact, it happened once when he did see it and hear it. And he said they would stand back to back, facing out and being very snorty and very bristly and distinct sort of on guard behaviour. Yeah, absolutely. When we had the kill in our field, I think it took the horses maybe three or four days to settle back down. They were very on edge. Yeah, because it was in the paddock where they roam, of course. Yeah, absolutely. What I've always thought is interesting when you talk about the sheep kills and and a leopard dispatching a a sheep without really upsetting the rest of the flock. Can happen. Not like that with horses. They're very switched on to what's happening. Yeah, because they've evolved as a prey species, haven't they? So they are alert. Back to the one from Nicaragua, that experience, and you seeing that skull. 
I mean, I think you're sort of pointing to why I don't think we have Jaguars in this country, because I think if Jaguars were here, black Jaguars, if they were misbehaving, I think we would know it because misbehaving ones would be taking cattle and horses. They would also be seen swimming and on water size because they're more specialists than lepers. They like water. And I think none of that's happening, really. Also, two black Jaguars have a proportion, about 25% offspring are spotted. So it is pointing to leopards rather than Jaguar. And I think luckily we rarely get horse impacts. I think when we do, it's a young Tom Puma, probably more than leopard, going for the wrong target and probably getting a bumpy ride on the horse and thinking, you know, this isn't working. I won't try this again. (laughs) And it's pretty dangerous. Yeah, I think so. But of course, foals and miniature ponies are targets and, you know, I think do get eyed up sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. They're just like big dogs, though, some of those miniature horses. There's not much to them at all. And of course, incredibly inbred as well, a lot of them. So they're not the healthiest of creatures. Yeah, okay. Well, can we come on to your experience in in horse behaviour more generally? So you're interested in animal behaviour more widely because of what you do with horses, I guess. Partly, but I was also brought up by my parents who were big animal lovers. So ornithology and pets at home, which led into horses. And I ended up being a professional horseman. My area of specialism is more rehabilitation rather than pure animal behaviour, fixing problems that were created as humans, mostly. Mostly horses that have gone wrong in their training. Usually I get contacted at the end of the line. So when the horses become really dangerous and unhandleable. There's very few choices left for the owner, you know, once veterinary treatment doesn't work. If they're lucky, they'll end up with a trainer who knows what he's talking about. We look at why the animal's gone wrong. There's usually multiple reasons. And, um, we try and piece them back together again. And are these working horses, horses used in show jumping and racing, or can they be any types of horses? Any type of horse, amateurs and professionals alike. Studying nature and, and working with the horses has gone hand in hand. When I was in California, I was training to be a shiatsu therapist, and um, that's when I saw my cougar. Wonderful. One of the most dangerous situations I've had, actually, personally, in the last five years at least, is actually going to a stables in south of England where they were, and they still do have, a big cat visitor. This was a reference on from the constabulary that had been there and also felt the owner was right in saying there was a big cat around freaking the horses. And this was stables where they had racehorses, including retired ones, but they were delaying bringing an older foal over from Ireland to this establishment. And going down to the fields beyond the main enclosures where the racehorses were, I was checking cameras and coming back. And when I was coming back, I hadn't realised, but they'd had two of the horses get out. These racehorses are incredibly athletic, powerful specimens. And I hadn't sort of sussed that they were out and uncontrolled. So I'd walked across the field that they were in and they suddenly went full gallop across it. And I was right in the middle and they were coming straight for me. And I suddenly realised, ah, they're not meant to be out. And I shouldn't have been so dumb as to come right through the middle of the field. And it was truly scary. They were absolutely coming at me, two of them. And I decided just to stand still and see what and thought, there's no way if I run or crouch, you know, it's more risky. I'm just going to have to trust them. And just at the last second, they parted and I went either side of me and I just felt them breeze past. It was incredible. It was exhilarating, but frightening. And you just saw 
really their brains working thinking stupid idiot you know he should have got out of the way he hasn't but we'll miss him <laughs> but i truly thought i could have been hospitalized very easily and you oh, just absolutely yeah, the athletic power and speed that they had when they decided. Yeah, they got out when they shouldn't have done. They were making the most of having a good afternoon run around. And it was awesome. But so scary. you can see why a leopard would stay well clear. Yeah, yeah, other than something small or old or infirmed or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you must see how intelligent horses are in your work. Absolutely. And they are so intuitive and connected with the rest of nature and what's going on around them. Having said that, you do get quite a, a wide variety of sensitivity in horses. So you get some horses that probably wouldn't react too badly if there was a leopard at the end of the paddock, you know. But then most horses are pretty switched on it and they'd be upset. But I can imagine some horses really wouldn't care too much. You're making me think now of one horse attack incident. And I think the photograph of this one is in my book, actually. This happened in Gloucestershire a while back. And it got some injuries, which from the photograph you'd think were very likely big cat impacts. And the photograph was provided to me with the story behind it, which was that a vet was attending the animal after the injuries and the vet assessed them as most likely from a big cat attack. And apparently three months later, the horse died. It was apparently traumatised and apparently never recovered and it died. Does that sound all credible to you? It doesn't surprise me. Horses can react in strange ways. And they can get PTSD much the same way as, as we do. They're very complex emotionally. Whilst we can fix most physical problems, correcting mental issues is very time consuming and you kind of feel your way. It strikes me that horse owners, uh, particularly ones who are involved in major commercial enterprises like horse riding stables, studs, equestrian event exercises, people who have got expensive horse businesses behind them, who have got a big cat sort of visiting their land and bothering them, they're likely to be less tolerant than a lot of people about a big cat being around, would you reckon? Yeah, I would think so. If I was managing a, a high-end stud with millions of pounds worth of horse flesh on the stud, you know, it, you'd be very concerned because you're dealing with the horses. They're not your own. You're dealing with clients' horses. There's a, a lot of pressure involved. If I was in that situation, yeah, I'd be concerned. Yeah, it's difficult to know what to advise. I mean, the, the stables I was talking about where the two racehorses left me alone, one of the things I've been advising them about is just lights at night. Now, I'm the last person as a parish councillor fussing here about uh, illumination and see seeing the night sky here in Gloucestershire in the locality. I'm the last person to advise people to put strong illumination and lots of bright lights out. But I did in that case because I felt obviously you want horses to be free of light pollution at night. But yeah. if it's going to um, deter a predator lurking around, there's two things. There's the actual lights from the buildings illuminating the local area where a predator might prowl. But there's also just people attending the horses at night and I just said to them you know have really good head torches with big spotlights and have that turn them on to strobe a flashing effect if you think you're seeing the eye shine of the cat even just doing that makes them feel more confident with those head torches on but I think there is some um, there's been a paper recently from South America with puma attacks in farm environments where they felt illumination was proving useful in deterring that so 
that's one bit of advice I was thinking anyway. Yeah, it's probably good advice. But again, as you say, you know, you do risk upsetting the horses if they haven't got true night. Only real situation I'd be concerned in being a horse owner is when you've got mares foaling. And the majority of yards have that happen indoors. So I'm not aware of anybody that foals expensive horses out at pasture, really. Of course, it's emotionally very difficult for people who've had that. There have been cases where people think their foal has been predated by a big cat in Britain and Australia. In episode 10, I think it was, from Australia, Simon Townsend mentioned a case. Yeah, I'm grateful that we don't have Jaguar, or at least we don't think we have Jaguar. They would present a different challenge for horse owners, I'm sure. Yeah, and so that takes us on to the final talking point, Richard, and that's the wider issue of big cats living wild in Britain more generally. What's your personal view on all of that? I think given the exploding deer population, I think it can only be a a good thing. However, if I go out and I'm walking in the countryside at night and you get the shivers run down your spine and you're not sure whether there's something there or not, you know, it does make you think. I've always thought myself as as confident in the countryside. And then when you start to realise that there are big cats around and it makes you think, it makes you take precautions. I've certainly doubled my pace when I've been out at night. (laughs) I get a bit jittery. Yeah. Does that bug you? Does that you find that bothersome or do you feel it just goes with the territory and makes me a stronger person mentally and, and it's all maybe it's good to have those vibes that we're not top dog? We need to be closer to what's going on in nature. We can get very distant from it. So I'm all for getting out in the countryside and don't be too concerned really. They like to stay away from us generally. Although the guys you were interviewing in Spain, I think, recently. My word, that was scary. That's a different context. That's what we think was a recently released one, which was still coming to terms with its situation and feeling stress. But yeah, of course, it's not meaning to be scary, but it makes everybody more vulnerable as a result. Mm. Generally, I think it's a good thing. With the talk of reintroducing links, I honestly don't see any reason why we shouldn't have links here. It's quite apparent that we've already got leopards, so... Well, some people say it's quite apparent we've already got links as well from the sightings. I'm sure we'll have more links reports in time. But um, what would you say to people who are nervous about it and who are maybe even hostile to the notion of having big cats around and certainly introducing any more? Well, chances are you're never ever going to see one. Like your friend in California? Yeah, absolutely. It's only, you know, I know in places like India, you get confrontation, don't you, because of a shortage in food and then you get conflict. So... It can happen, but I don't know. I don't think so here. Certainly not with the amount of deer. And things like impacts on stables and occasional sheep impacts. I mean, I think we have to learn to assist and advise and help those people who are experiencing any difficulties. They mustn't be left unhelped. We've just got to have systems which do address their problems. Yeah, it's occasional, isn't it? And that's the important thing. Great. Okay. Well, thank you very much for all of those perspectives. Very interesting to hear about the horse perspectives. And thank you very much for being on Big Cat Conversations, Richard. My pleasure. Thank you, Rick.
for our next guest, we are speaking to Rachel, and Rachel is a horse owner from Herefordshire, and so far in this episode we've been talking about the potential for impacts and attacks on horses, and we're going to now review a case of one of Rachel's horses where we're pretty sure that there was a big cat involved, and Rachel is going to tell us all about it. So welcome, Rachel. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Hello. And Rachel, you're in the Wye Valley area, um, not far from Monmouthshire, but just into Herefordshire. Yes. You had a horse called Henry that we refer to as Hen, I gather. Yeah. Please tell us what happened, because you didn't see a big cat, but you felt there must have been one involved from what happened when you turned up to the stables and found the condition that Hen was in. Is that right? Yeah, they were out in the field. I think there was four of them in the field at the time, and we strip graze, which means we move the electric fence every day. So they had a hedgerow on one side and then electric fence on the other side. And I went there in the morning just to check them and move the fence and do some poo picking. I noticed that my horse was looking very sorry for himself in the corner of the field. So I went over to investigate and I found deep scratch marks across his back and down his rear end and really deep gash on his back leg. And I called the vet and the vet said, well, what's the matter with him? And I said, I don't really know how to say this, but it looks like he's been attacked by something. I can't really say what it is, but it looks like it's a cat. The vet turned up about half an hour later and said that he couldn't think of anything else that could do that either. Very interesting. Had you had any sense of a big cat in the area before? Any sightings or any gossip in the neighbourhood or any of the other horse owners ever sensed anything or any of the behaviour of the horses suggesting there was anything in the vicinity? There have been big cat sightings. People, I have met people before who have said around the time, because this was going back a little bit, that they had seen big cats and I have heard them since as well, but not specifically um, in that area that I knew. But when it happened, I phoned the police because I thought they should know. They sent a wildlife officer out. The wildlife officer, she had a look at the horse and she said that she entirely believed that it could be that because they had had reports from farmers locally within five miles of sheep up trees and things like that. And she was obviously convinced that there were cats in the area. But I have never personally seen anything up at the field and I have never seen any indicators then that there could be anything there. It is literally just this attack, which is really quite convincing. If you'd seen the marks, it was definitely scratch marks. It couldn't have been done by a dog. I can't imagine a human would have been able to keep my horse still long enough to make the injuries that it made. Yeah, so you went through all the other possibilities of those scratch marks getting onto Hen. Yeah, I'd never considered much. I'd never spent much time thinking about whether big cats were a thing or not. I'm sure that there would have been some released going back to when they changed the laws. But it wasn't something I put a great deal of time thinking about. Um, If anything, I was more sceptical than anything until I saw the marks on my horse. And then I didn't really have much choice but to become a lot more convinced about it. I was pregnant at the time as well. I was very heavily pregnant at the time. And it it did make me quite nervous going up around dusk and dawn and any time I couldn't see properly for quite a while. Can you describe the wounds? I mean, I've seen several very good photos of them and they are very convincing. On some of them, the vet had put in the, I guess, the vet's equivalent of antiseptic cream. (laughs) 
<laughs> and well, what they actually put in it, it was in the middle of summer, mm-hmm. so he actually just put fly cream in. I phoned him three times and said, "Are you sure you don't want to stitch this?" And he said, "If you really want me to, I will come back out and stitch this, but it would be better to heal from the bottom up. So just keep the flies off it, and it will heal." So <laughs> it literally is yellow fly cream in there. Yeah, it does show up. The it, we didn't have proper pictures, many pictures before it was covered over because I didn't have the presence of mind at the time to take them. I was more concerned with getting my horse treated. And I was sat on the yard having a nosebleed. The vet didn't know whether to treat me or treat the horse. We were both in shock. (laughs) It, It was kind of treated by the time we had the presence of mind to take the photos in detail. But yes, they are very scratch marks, maybe half an inch apart spread. And um, there are several of those on the back. Then there is a really deep gash, which is on the, the mid to high portion of his leg, which is just totally ripped open. It's about an inch and a half deep and two inches wide. I imagine that would be a back claw or something. It looks like something has jumped on his back. Yeah. And that one is a tear lower down, much different from the scratch marks on his hindquarters. Yeah. But the other interesting thing was that there was a very elderly small pony in the field at the time. And I can't understand why it would have gone for my 15-2 chunky horse Mm. over an elderly pony. Whether it was some kind of inexperience on the cat's part, I don't know. But it was just strange that that should be the case. Yeah, you're right. That is. I mean, in the in the wild, anything in the wild in out in America or something, would an experienced cat would select one that it would feel was more of an obvious target to grapple down. Are there any overhanging trees that a cat could leap from? Or do you think this was an attack leaping up from the ground? There were overhanging trees. We have a hazel and hawthorn hedge line and there's a proper canopy underneath it that the horse can get in the shade under. But we also had very long grass. So Mm. we were grazing into some grass that was going to be cut for hay. Um, And it happened in, well, late summer. So the grass was very high. So other people came up after because people were quite interested in it and said that they could see trail marks in the grass. But I know that a lot of things came in and out of the grass. I don't know whether it came from the grass or came from the trees. Okay. And the horse, clearly he must have been affected by the physical wounds, presumably. But also, do you think he was affected? Was he nervous afterwards as well? Yeah, he wasn't himself for a couple of weeks. Um, He got back to it, but he was just super quiet and nervous for quite some time. He'd obviously been through it, bless him. (laughs) We were all quite nervous after it, to be honest. If it can do something like that to a big animal. And we didn't have cameras up there at the time or anything like that mm-hmm. and we couldn't afford to put them in so I was checking on my horse or horses at any opportunity I could but you have to go home you have to go to sleep so yeah and they can't be indoors all the time no the vet in scrutinizing the marks had he had any experience before of big cats obviously very few vets do but occasionally one might have had some reports relayed to them but was this vet completely inexperienced on big cat issues do you think i don't know for sure he didn't tell me specifically of anybody of any incidents of that but he is quite 
open-minded then and while he didn't want his name to be in the papers or anything like that I can understand that he was quite accepting of the fact that this was all it could be yeah from a direct view of it yeah not from just photos but assessing the condition of the horse and the impacts he gave me the whole you're not crazy (laughs) it's okay did anybody who looked at them looked at the wounds think of any other reason for them No, nobody who's seen them. I've had people that I've shown pictures and they have been sceptical, but they were people that would never have been convinced of anything else. And I have to say that we were in a few of the papers and the papers really don't help because the papers always put a slant. They're not accurate with what they write. Mm. They put a slant on it and readers are very susceptible to that rather than just give the facts and let people decide there is always a slant on it and that's people are used to reading big cat stories and seeing very unconvincing big cat photos i think the amount of it has made people very close-minded about it Mm. i do know people who have said that they have seen and there are there are some people that i have thought "Mm, yeah i'm not sure if i believe that Mm -hmm. and there are other people that i know haven't been out there looking for them or haven't particularly been interested in seeing one and have said oh yes i saw one up the woods yeah luckily it does appear to be rare as you might imagine and yeah i don't know whether you've ever looked into it or read about it but what the hunch is is that it's an inexperienced tom who's starting out with his life as a predator and is going to concentrate on deer probably roe deer and fallow deer and that sort of thing and goes for the bigger target and makes the mistake and doesn't repeat it because it realises this isn't going to work. And Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense from what I saw. Yeah. And I can't imagine that he left uninjured. Really? Well, uh, yeah, again, I didn't see any evidence, but my horse was not going to stand there and let it happen. So I expect he got kicked. Yeah, sure. Or a bumpy ride at least. Yeah, there's plenty, there's plenty for them to eat around here if they eat here. Yes, sure. Including Munt Jacks and all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And luckily, we do feel that is the mainstay of their diet. Yeah, and bunnies and pheasants as well. And we have lots of those too. We have all of those. And interesting that the vet wanted to just keep below the radar. That's common. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's not common for vets to have to be called out to cases. But when they are, you can quite understand they don't want to go on the record. Yeah, it affects not only them, but they have a practice and they have other people that they employ. And... You know, you're affecting people's lives if certain people then decide that they don't trust you as a vet because you have made this diagnosis, however true it may be. Yes. Sounds a bit cranky to some people and it might put people off. Yeah. Yeah. We always ask our guests what they think in general about big cats out in the wild and possibly even naturalising. Have you got a view? Does Has this sort of coloured your view because you can see the potential impact? It, it has have? a little bit because... When I tried to find help to make sure that there wasn't a big cat there, I was told that they were protected and they couldn't be killed or anything like that. And I I was scared. I'm still nervous about having my young children up there now because I never expected. I I would have been happy before if I'd seen a big cat up in the woods. I'd have gone, oh, look, a big cat. How wonderful. But having seen that it could take on something that big, I am now more nervous to take young children away from me up in the woods or even myself. Um, I still do it, 
because you I mean you you can't go worrying about things like that mm. but it's it's on my mind where it wouldn't have been before yeah but I am a, a huge cat lover we have cats here and I very much love servals and go to see them and I love big cats why in particular servals oh, I just think they're amazing they're cats with a little bit more attitude but when it gets into the realms of tigers humans yeah i'm not likely to bring one home as a pet yeah sure <laughs> yeah if somebody said right we can use a pack of hounds to pursue and intercept that cat would you have wanted that to happen would you have wanted it recovered it's a difficult one i was afraid mm. i was afraid not just for the animals that was my main concern but I was afraid I was pregnant. I think that probably didn't help because it happened while I was pregnant. It made more of a thing of it in my mind as well. It was more stress for you. Yeah, I think you're very protective when you're pregnant. And I was worried about bringing children up there. It's always felt a really safe place to be. Mm. I don't know is the answer. I wanted it to be moved. Yeah, you didn't want it near you. Yeah, don't know. I mean, luckily, these instances do appear to be rare in their native countries and, you know, here where we think we've got them now. But every case is still, you know, worth discussing if somebody is like you prepared to discuss it with us. So that is very helpful. And luckily, no sniff of it since, either visually uh, or, or impact on the horses or whatever. That's... We looked. We looked for, I don't know, anything we could think of, scat, fur, prints, mm. scratch marks, anything. But we, we didn't find anything, which is a shame, really. I, I'd have liked to have seen it. And luckily, the horse recovered reasonably well, reasonably quickly. Yeah, he had. He always had a little bit of a lump where the big scar was, but nothing nothing much. He was a fine, healthy horse after that again. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask um, if you had any theories about that, if there were cats out there, what kind of cats they were. Okay, yeah, well... The majority of the reports, and I've had over 1,300 reports now in um, over 10 years since I've been doing this, um, because I go to rural shows. I haven't done the Monmouthshire show. I must do that. That's a, I've been told it's a very big and very good one. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I've done the Herefordshire Fair, um, which is also near you, which is a very good one. I mean, some people pass the tent and see the sign and look at me as if I'm spreading some kind of silly religion but <laughs> look at give you strange I, I, I looks. know the feeling i had it too okay yeah but others uh just walk in and i mean i remember one time at the herefordshire fair a gamekeeper walked in from a, an estate in i think it was warwickshire and he looked at my model puma and he said oh the one i saw was um just a tiny bit smaller than that and then Five minutes later, another gamekeeper, while he was still there, another gamekeeper walked in from uh, Worcestershire, I think, and he said, oh, the one I saw was just a bit bigger than that. And, and they sort of had half an hour swapping notes about the, the, <laughs> the two Sandy Brown Pumas they'd seen in their different counties. So that's lovely when that <laughs> happens. And so, yeah, so the majority of the reports are actually the big black ones. You've probably heard that, you know, they're mainly black panther type cats. And we think those are black or what's called melanistic leopards. So they're leopards with spots, but you can't see the spots because they're covered in this black pigment. And it's from a, a recessive yeah. gene. They're very beautiful. It's Bargera in the Jungle Book, of course, you know, the black panther. Yeah. And panther is just a general word and it's leopard or jaguar. You, know, you can have black jaguars as well. So spotted, you know, large cats that predate deer. Isn't but... it that, that panthers roar and other cats don't? 
That's right. Panthera genus. Yeah. And see, I re- I really do like cats. But <laughs> so your serval that you like is a felis type cat, and that can't can't. Rule. Yeah, I think I'm going to end up with a svana. Well, you've got kids, so you know what trouble kids are. I mean, like having another child, I should think. Oh, yes, especially if I get two. Gosh, yeah. The trouble is they're territorial, aren't they? So they don't like each other's company, I always think. Well, cats are usually okay if if they're from the same... Litter. Yeah, that's a word. (laughs) Yeah, I I had two... I don't know whether that applies to to servals or not. Yeah, no, I had two lovely black cats. I like having a black cat. um, Yes, we have black cats too. Yeah, because for me, they're little model panthers, you know, and you can see them in the neighbouring field and sort of judge the size and everything. And they were sisters. And for the first year, they were inseparable and helped each other. But then they just grew apart and did their own thing and were very distinct and different. But If my little black cat, and he was only a very little black cat, Hmm. was that kind of size, the damage he used to do to me at that size, playing, he'd be terrifying. Well, that is why people release savannas and uh, Bengal cats because and Shousies that previously, you know, these, these designer yeah. cats can be problematic for people. So it is a big decision. Yeah. But yeah, so so the majority of the cats that are reported seem to be black leopards, melanistic leopards, and then about fifteen percent of them seem to be these sandy brown, sandy grey puma types, mm. and it's those a big. Tom one in America can, in the right situations where there are wild horses, it can go for them. And of course, you know, if they're a wild herd, then there will be older and weaker ones that could be predated. It must be unusual. Yeah, they can't take the risk of getting injured, of course. No. Well, thank you, Rachel, very much for this example. It's so useful to have an example. I'm so sorry it happened. Well, he got better. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And he had a good life, hopefully. Yes, yes. He was a very old man by the time we lost him. Okay, great stuff. And and, uh, thank you for permission to to use that photo. We'll put it on the website. That's okay. I hope nothing like that happens again. Yes, hopefully. Okay, well, thank you very much for coming on Big Cat Conversations, Rachel. Thank you. Okay, before we close, just a couple of points to make. And they both relate back to the episode last time with Michael Mays from Texas. The first is that if you've not heard that episode and you're interested in the link between big cats and horses, one of Michael's main examples of a black panther seen in Texas relates to a close-up, pretty scary encounter in a horse paddock. And Michael concluded that that one was most likely a jaguar from the reported behaviour and the vocalisation of the cat scene. And in that episode, I didn't have time to mention the recommended tiger books I referred to and the standout one to highlight is titled The Great Soul of Siberia, In Search of the Siberian Tiger. It's by a guy called Suyong Park, and he is a Korean documentary filmmaker. It was published fairly recently in 2016, and you'll learn about a few individual Siberian tigers from his close observations, and you feel like you're there with him tracking and transported to that harsh, brutal environment in southern Siberia. He even created deep bunkers in the ground to observe the tigers in the wild, and his point is that you observe best by waiting for the cat to come near you, and he would experience some of them around and over the bunkers sometimes. That situation reminds me of Michael May's point from the last episode, that waiting for rare and furtive wildlife in the wild can be 95% boredom and discomfort, and then 5% action, if not terror. So, The Great Soul of Siberia is highly recommended, and I can see it's available for around 5 to £10 pounds on various websites at the moment. 
We've put a link to it on the Big Cat Conversations website under episode 24. For our next episode, we move from horse behaviour to dog behaviour, and we speak to a lady who's had several encounters in Somerset, including with her dogs reacting and sensing big cats on some occasions. We also speak with a lady who runs a wildlife rescue network in Cornwall and has taken big cat reports and has heard past gossip about released pumas. We'll hear about her encounters with Puma and Jaguar when she was in Colombia. Finally, a couple of thank yous to make. Just to say we much appreciate the kind comments on the Apple Podcast Review system. And likewise, a big thanks to all the Facebook groups, large and small, who promote the podcast, and the Facebook members who offer feedback. I know some people make suggestions, and we will try to respond to the ideas bit by bit where we can. In a couple of months' time, we have an episode planned with two of the people who help run Big Cat Facebook groups. So we'll get their angle on the subject and hear of their sightings. So a view from Facebook groups coming soon. As always, thank you everyone for listening in. Hope you can make it back next time and bye for now.